Today we're celebrating a new holiday. You've heard of Thanksgiving, you've heard of Black Friday. Today it's Empty the Inbox Day. That's right, it's an all mailbag, all the time episode of Open Line. We've got the questions you've sent us about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life, and we're getting ready to address them. So hang tight, we're going to get to those in just a moment. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik, Moody Radio's Bible study across America. I'm Michael Rydelnik, professor of Jewish studies at Moody Bible Institute, and I'm here today, every Saturday, to do my best to answer your questions about the scriptures. Normally, the bulk of this program is taking your phone calls, but not so today. Today, it's all mailbag, all the time. The best way, the best way to be in touch with us is via our website, openlineradio.org. If you go there to openlineradio.org and you scroll down, you'll see there's a link that says, Ask Michael a Question. You can click on that and fill out a form and put your question in there as well. So it's openlineradio.org, Ask Michael a Question. Also joining me today is the person I turn to when I have a question about the Bible. She's a professor at Moody Bible Institute. She is also uh, a contributor to the Moody Bible Commentary, and she happens to be my wife, Eva Rydelnik. Hi, Eva. Hey, so fun to be here with you guys. Yeah, we're, we're going to give you all the hard questions today. Okay, okay, I'm ready, I'm ready. That's good. And uh, joining us as well is uh, our trusty producer who puts everything together and make sure we stay on make sure that we stay on she makes sure that we stay on track that's what we do she's in charge of everything right mm-hmm. that's right <laughs> <laughs> i try she tries she tries anyway so trisha mcmillan is joining us she's the keeper of the mailbag she's put all these questions together and so thank you that you're here trisha i'm glad to be here okay well i want all of you to go get your Bibles and get your cups of coffee and head over to the radio kitchen table because we're going to talk about the scriptures. But before we do, I have a question. Today is the Saturday after Thanksgiving. And when we talk about uh, Advent, I always thought of the Advent of Christmas starting right after Thanksgiving. In fact, one of my pet peeves was that people start putting out Christmas stuff in October and at stores and things like that. I I, I don't want any of that. And when I was a college student, I would go to my college roommate's home in rural Indiana, in a little town there, and his dad was a landscaper. And after we finished Thanksgiving dinner, we'd all take a nap. Who can't, right? And and then uh, his brothers and his, all the family, the dad, and I would go along. We would go into this little town, and we would hang Christmas... uh, Garland, garland all over, uh, because that town showed no sign of Christmas until after Thanksgiving. It was almost magical, wasn't it? Yeah. Overnight, uh, that little town would turn into uh, a beautiful little Christmas town. looked like Bedford Falls Hmm. uh, when when Jimmy Stewart was there for It's a Wonderful Life. And it was just really lovely. But I loved it that they didn't do it until right after Thanksgiving. So... in my opinion, even though Advent usually starts December 1st, that's what most people think, I think Advent begins the day after Thanksgiving. That's my, the official <laughs> Michael Rydelnik way of looking at Advent. And so, But I do think that, that people need to prepare for celebrating the birth of the king. And so I, was, I have these two experts with me right now. What makes you expert is you are both moms. And being a mom makes you expert at many things, including 
how did you get your family ready for Advent uh, and to, to the celebrating the birth of the king? We're going to go with Trisha first. All right. Um, we've done several things, and, and my kids are young, so some of this has, um, has changed because uh, even myself, I would do things when I was single, uh, and then when I got married, that there were things that my husband and I did um, to prepare. Like, I've always had um, some sort of a devotional, and it would change up every year. There were always new ones coming out. Um, and so I would do different things each each um, Christmas season to prepare my heart. Some were little devotionals where I would write things. Other times I had one that was a, a Messiah. It went through all of the Messiah. Oh, the music. Um, the music the of lyrics. Handel's Messiah. Uh-huh. And, and as part of that devotional, it had a CD that you would listen to the songs. Oh, and fun. I, I lost the CD one year, and I was like, you know what? A lot of these are on YouTube, or I had a different one that was excerpts. Uh-huh. Um, and and Nate and I did that. My husband and I did that one year. Um, and it was just very moving. It's so scripturally based yeah. um that different things like that however my kids aren't quite as they love music um but they they're not ready quite for as handle? interested <laughs> i mean like, they like dancing around to music but right. but might the, be a little more complex deep, for them the yeah theology of some <laughs> of the um song lyrics uh they don't quite get um we, I, was, I bet they can get the hallelujah chorus <laughs> right. oh, yes yes yeah. they do like the word hallelujah um so once i had kids it's kind of changed a little bit too one um one, my husband and I actually have designed one that we go through each year um, that each time you, you actually have a block and you flip it over on the appropriate day and each one you either read a passage of scripture or you'd sing a Christmas carol. Um, and we designed it to go with each number and the words and it all spells out Luke 2.11. Oh, does it really? Um, so yeah. it so goes cool. through the whole verse, um, which is... For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And so each day um, you flip over the, uh, the so corresponding word. People must know day. this about me already because I've said it on Chris Fabry's program a number of times. But that's the very first verse of the New Testament that I ever heard because I was a little boy and I watched the, uh, you know, Christmas verses aren't real big in traditional Jewish homes, just so you know. And so we didn't read the New Testament. We didn't read any verses from the New Testament ever growing up. But when I was a little boy, I got to watch a Charlie Brown Christmas. And, of course, when mm-hmm. Linus dims mm-hmm. the lights and he gets the lights, please, you know, yes. and he tells the Christmas story, I heard that story. Yeah. Heard I that loved, verse. Oh. Yeah, I, I heard yes. that, and I saw that, heard that verse, and it really kind of took me by surprise. I really liked it. Yeah, so such a powerful scene. Yeah. Oh. For a little boy. Um, yes. so, so your kids do yes. this every day, then you have something yes. that you do. Yes. Yeah. So each day. And it's short, so it you know keeps their attention span. The other thing I started doing a couple years ago is some sort of spinoff of the Jesse tree idea where there's where it's a similar idea where there's like a different ornament and it goes through um, different aspects. It starts at, um, I'll get this wrong, creation. It starts at the beginning. It starts in Genesis and then uh-huh. goes through. Um, different events that happened throughout the Bible. Um, and so we've done variations of that where I've greatly, greatly, greatly um, shortened the the stuff we read. But yeah. a similar idea where it's it's then they have an ornament type of thing that they could hang oh, nice. up. And we we actually, I printed them off one year and we just put tape on them. We just hung them up on the wall like they oh, weren't on so a tree cool. or anything. But there are organizations that make 
ornaments. My sister-in-law actually made ornaments, so she took actual stones and glued them all together and made an altar wow. um, with, like, a little fire on top. That's really heavy, that one. <laughs> but, like, she went out and she found the rocks and she found, you know, different things. So some of them were felt and some were, like, actual sticks. She made an actual ladder. One of them is the ladder. For, um, for Jacob. For Jacob. And so she found little twigs and glued them together. And so so very creative. Um, and so she actually gave those to us last year. And so we used those as part of the celebration. Wow. And When do you get your Christmas tree up or do you not have a Christmas tree? Uh, we usually do it in November. Um, usually after Thanksgiving, it just kind of depends on yeah, the um, what when, when Nate's works available, out. right? <laughs> right. When he can help me get yeah. it actually up there. That's great. Okay. So Eva, did did you or do you uh, want to tell anything about? Surprisingly to you, you probably don't know this, but I do uh, know yes, a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we didn't do so. Now our kids are grown up already, so. We're thinking about like what we did from when they were little and uh, some things that we even did before we had kids. But uh, probably the centerpiece of the whole celebration for us and our family is we want to keep the emphasis on the birthday of Messiah. And so we always have a, a kind of a birthday theme around Christmas time for mm-hmm. Messiah. So we would hang a banner up that says Happy Birthday Messiah or Happy Birthday Yeshua. And then from when our kids were little, the big exciting thing on Christmas morning is we could have cake for breakfast. Birthday cake. Yum. Birthday cake. I would make a birthday cake, and right on the top of it, Happy Birthday Yeshua. It has a little Star of David in the middle. And then we had a big emphasis on I, it being you just the, need to understand the birthday this. of the king. We, we used to joke about Eva being, she ran that household pretty tough. We called her Attila the mommy. And, <laughs> that's, uh, that's true. And uh, to have birthday cake for breakfast... That was a sharp lapse in the uh, in, in, uh, the in the, the regiment. Very very big deal. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> so. Yeah, so that it's, and it was always exciting. Every bit of it was always really really exciting. And, and one of the things that that I people are shocked to hear this because I am not opposed to Christmas trees, but we never had one. And the reason we don't have a Christmas tree is because uh, we live in a Jewish community. We don't want our uh, Jewish neighbors with, who would might mistakenly think that we have a Christmas tree. We became followers of Jesus as Jewish people just so we could have a Christmas tree. They, they would think that, which is silly, but you know, why would anyone do that just for a Christmas tree? You can have a Christmas tree without becoming All you have to do is look at, uh, check the internet for Jewish people and Christmas trees, and that's a lot of what you yeah, hear. Yeah, or they call mm. them Hanukkah bushes. I mean, really, come on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I love Christmas trees, and they smell so good, yeah, and but they're we, so pretty. But we, we didn't have to, one. We were able to do it by, cel- by just making it a birthday celebration. And by the way, it was really clear. One of the things I loved uh, is reading the texts of Scripture with our kids from Matthew and from Luke. And, uh, and that's, that's a very— uh, and, and speaking of little wooden things, when, when Michael was in graduate school, before our kids were, were born, someone made a, a little manger— with wooden puzzle pieces that all fits together and it, it has the shape of a manger. Then you can mm. take them out and you have a couple camels and a shepherd and, mm-hmm. and the nativity people. And then when the kids were little, they could move those around and play. They loved that. Play so, the story. Yeah. So much fun. Well, cool. anyway, we're going to talk not about Advent anymore. We're going to actually go to what we're supposed to be doing, which is answering your questions that you have sent in. And so you're listening to Open Line. My name is Michael Rydelnik. Joining me today, Eva Rydelnik and Trisha McMillan. And it's an all-mailbag, all-the-time edition. So stay with us. We'll be right back.
The book of Romans is often considered Paul's most significant theological work, addressing topics such as sin, salvation, faith, righteousness, and now you can easily grasp Paul's teachings as the Romans Everyday Bible Commentary by Alan Johnson guides you in the meaning and application of Romans in our daily lives. When you give a gift of any size to OpenLine, I'll send you a copy just to say thank you. Call 888-644-7122 or visit OpenLineRadio.org. Welcome back to Open Line with Dr. Michael Radelnik. That's me. Joining me today is our producer, Trisha McMillan. Uh, she's the keeper of the mailbag. It's an all-mailbag, all-the-time program. Also joining me today to answer those questions that Trish has pulled together that you have sent in is Eva Radelnik. She's a professor at Moody, at Moody Bible Institute. And also, she is a contributor to the Moody Bible Commentary, and she's the person that texts me the answers usually on weekends when I don't know what you're asking or how to answer what you're asking. She'll send me a quick text with the answer. So glad you're here, Eva. I can just point at you. and So much fun to be here yeah, around the table. I can point at you without needing a, t- a text message. There you go. There we go. Okay. Well, let's go to our questions. All right. I know you said we were done with Christmas and Advent, but we have one question that I want to get in here since it's right at the beginning of that season. Esther in Boynton Beach, Florida, listens to WRMB, says, thank you, Michael, for your ministry. I enjoy learning facts about Yeshua and the Bible days. What are your thoughts and beliefs about Christmas? Is this man-made or biblical? Well, let's start with the biblical aspect. Right. The, the Bible gives us a lot of information about the the birth of Messiah. Yeah. There's really, a, there was predictions of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like Micah 5, 2, uh, that he would be born in Bethlehem. Uh, Isaiah seven fourteen that he would be born of a virgin. Uh, right. Interesting about Micah 5, 2 and others uh, verses as well. It talks about Messiah, though he would be physically born in Bethlehem, he really comes from eternity. Right. Uh, so he comes from uh, eternity past, which is what the New Testament teaches in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Uh, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, and uh, the Word became flesh, it says in verse 14, and dwelt among us. And right. so uh, the eternal Word, the living Word, uh, became a fully human man, so fully God and fully man. So that that's it's predicted, and also... There's a lot of detail about when the event actually occurred. Yeah, three of the four, two of the two of the four gospels give quite a bit of information. Yeah. Uh, Matthew and Luke give a lot of information about before his birth and the birth event, and then soon from his early early days as a baby. Mm-hmm. So, uh, when you, when we look at Matthew chapter one, which is telling the birth narrative from the perspective of Mary, uh, of, of Joseph, the mother, or the father of Jesus, Joseph's father. Of Jesus, that's Matthew one, and then Luke uh, two and three tells it from the perspective of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and and so we have a lot of good biblical data. But the question is, is there a mandated holiday? Yeah, no. There's, there, there's there, no verse. There's that no says, verse that says go out and get greens and put them in your house and make cookies and have everything smell really good. Yeah, there's nothing that says that, and uh, not only that, but uh, it. There, there's it's fairly late, I believe, you know, a hundred years after the birth of Messiah, that believers began to start celebrating uh, his birth. So it's fairly late. There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, I think that sometimes people, and we don't know what the date was. It, we don't. We know it, 
it likely wasn't December 25th. If it was, so be it. But I don't know what day my dad was born, but we always celebrated August 7th because that was the day that he chose as his birthday. So why not December 25th? We know the Lord Jesus was born. And uh, why not, uh, of all the birthday celebrations we can have, why not that one, the one that celebrates when God became a man? And so I'm, I'm 100% in favor of celebrating that, even though we all can determine how we celebrate that. All right. I hope that was helpful for you, Esther. Now we're going to jump into the Old Testament. Um, Janet in Southington, Ohio, listens to WCRF. She's looking at Genesis 16, 11 through 14. The Lord appears to Hagar and seems to comfort her and emphasize to her that he cares about her and her son. However, what he tells her seems anything but comforting. Her son will become a great nation also, but be at odds with everyone, including God. This is supposed to be a blessing? What am I not understanding? <laughs> um, maybe not reading the, the big picture. What was, what was she the most sad about at that moment when she got this word, which is considered an encouraging word? She was just kicked out of the house. Right. And, uh, she, and she says was she, she was very frightened. Uh, and, uh, and what happened was that she was anticipating, uh, well, at this point, it doesn't say necessarily, I think, uh, that she was about to die. I think that's in Genesis 21. Right. But she's fleeing and we don't yeah. know. She has. Yeah. She's, she's unhappy because Sarah has just kicked her out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and so, uh, what happens is that, uh, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness by the spring of the way to Shur. He said to Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from? Where are you going? She says, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. And the angel, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your seed, your descendants, your offspring, so that they too will be too many to count. And the angel of the Lord said to her further, behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. Because the word Ishmael comes or sounds like the word Shema, God hears uh, uh, Ishmael. And when she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, uh, you are a God who sees. For she said, have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Therefore, the well was called uh, Bir Lahai Roy, Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. And so you have that over there where she is uh, basically told that she doesn't have to flee from the Lord's presence and that she will have a child and that he will be blessed because he will have many descendants. And then it also says in Genesis 21 uh, that when she's actually kicked out by Sarah, uh, there she's at the point of death, which is kind of interesting that when it, it says... Uh, that she, that her son was expelled with her. He was probably a teenager at this point. Uh, and God told a, uh, told Abraham, don't be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. Uh, and so Abraham casts him out. And then uh, God opened uh, her eyes so she could see water. And, uh, and God was with the lad and he grew and he lived in the wilderness. But the fact that he lives... And has 12 tribes come from him? That's the blessing. Now, I don't think those are Arabian tribes. He's not the father of the Arabs, as the Quran says. But he does continue, and he goes and settles near Egypt. The, the fact that he is a wild ass of a man, as the King James puts it, what can we say about that? 
Well, you know, I, it's the the comfort is the fact. Now she already knew she was pregnant before the angel said this to her because she had already been flaunting that to mm-hmm. Sarah at the beginning, and that's yeah. that, that's how she got cast out into the wilderness. Like, yeah, how dare you talk like this? So she got cast out. So it wasn't news to her, but I think it was confirmation that this was going to a good thing was going to happen to her when the angel said this to her. But the fact that the child was going to have this personality is like, okay, that is just how it is. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. We're not saying he's a prince of a guy. We're just saying that well, he's going to survive. He's going to have a great nation from himself. His character is another issue. Yeah. Uh, th- I think that's interesting is because that very character, that difficult personality type, is what got him kicked out in Genesis 21. Because right. he was mocking his little brother. Right. He was a teenage, young teenager, yeah. probably and 13. That, that's, that could be very serious behavior on his part. Uh, it wasn't just picking on his little brother, as all big brothers do. Mm-hmm. So, All right. So. I hope that's helpful for you, Janet. There's, there's always so much in these yeah. passages that we can get stuck in, well, wait, this doesn't compute with what I would see as a blessing. Mm-hmm. You right. know, different, yeah. different characteristics or different things like that. It, you know, it, it made me think about what Simeon said when he saw when he saw Mary at the when when Jesus was an infant and he talked about all the things that were going to happen and yet a sword would pierce her heart yeah hmm. that just part of the news could be very good news and part of the reality of the future can also be very painful well, I just think about Mary I mean the, probably the greatest thing in the world that, that people the desire of women you know that some people have said uh, that, that the, the desire of all women would be to be the mother of the Messiah. And so here's the angel, and he comes and tells her, you're going to be the mother of the Messiah. We're okay. going back to Christmas. And when you think about it, well, uh, I've never known a man, and he says this will be a miracle. Think about all the difficulty it brought in her life. Right. And and um, and then also then to see her, her grown son have to endure such suffering, how painful that would be. So... You know, sometimes in the midst of the blessing, there are some very painful things. And that's the reality of life. Yeah. Like yes. even, you know, we, we view things as having these rose-colored glasses that everything's going to be perfect if I get this blessing that I think something will be. But but reality is there are always some pain pain with the blessing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Our next question is from Sherry in Tennessee. Listen to WMBW. Her question is about Genesis 27, where Rebecca and Jacob stole the patriarchal blessing. Why did Isaac want to give the patriarchal blessing to Esau when he knew the prophecy was that the older son would serve the younger? What is the distinction between the birthright and the father's blessing? I've read commentaries that say the blessing was to be for all sons, but here Isaac chooses to give it to Esau. If Jacob had not grabbed the blessing from his father, how would God have allowed Jacob to get it? A lot of questions here. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I just rolled think in here. simply, I think fathers have other blessings, but this is the blessing of the firstborn. And so it is linked with the birthright. He gives them the blessing of the, firstbor- uh, of, of, of the birthright of the, of the firstborn. And the question that she asks is, why would uh, Ishmael want to disobey no, what why he would noted. Is, what? No, Ishmael, not Ishmael, I'm sorry, no, Isaac. Why would right, Isaac, Isaac want to disobey what he knows, that the younger will serve the older? Why would he do that? And I thought it was interesting. But, uh, even I saw this question because uh, Eva was talking about them with me, and she said, that makes me think of another question here that someone else had on this list. Right. That I, I, someone wrote in and said, 
this is pretty interesting. I, she, uh, <laughs> I thought uh, she, Jeff wrote in on his Facebook, and he said, "How can someone claim to be a Christian and choose to disobey the Word of God?" Mm-hmm. Uh, and well, I think, <laughs> hello. Uh, I, you know, I, I think that because we have free will, and our free will often isn't in. We have more than free will. We have a sin nature. Yeah, we have free will, and we have a sin nature. That's yeah. not removed from us when we become a believer. Yeah. And so I think that we believers make bad decisions all the time and do things they totally know is opposite of what God wants. Because we think we know better than God. We say, oh, this is what God says, but really this will make me happy. And, and if you say you have no sin, you're a liar, yeah. says in First John. <laughs> so, so, and I think that was what, that made me think of this, that, um, you know, Isaac, maybe he totally understood that Esau wasn't supposed to have the blessing, but he loved Esau more, and so he wanted to give it to him. Yeah. Like, I'm going to do so, this anyway. I'm going to do this anyway. It's yeah. been a long time since they said that yeah. about the, the yeah. twins. So, so I just think that that's the answer. It's sin nature. That's mm-hmm. what it is. Huh. Right. Uh, well, right. we're going to take a break. What you're doing right now is listening to Open Line. Open Line with Michael Radelnik. Eva Radelnik is joining me and Trisha McMillan. It's an all-mailbag, all-the-time program, so don't call but we're going to be answering all the questions you've sent in. We're coming right back with more questions straight ahead, so stay right there. Open Line is designed to take your questions and provide you with straightforward, honest answers from Scripture about the things that matter most. When you join our team of kitchen table partners, your monthly gift will help us stay on the air to continue to share the truth of the Bible with those who need to hear it. Become a Kitchen Table partner by calling us at 888-644-7122 or sign up online at openlineradio.org. Welcome back to this All Mailbag All the Time special edition of Open Line. My name is Michael Rydelnik, and I'm so glad that you've joined me today to talk about the questions that you have about the Bible and God and the spiritual life. And joining me today is Eva Rydelnik and also Trisha McMillan, who is the producer of Open Line. Well, Trisha, let's keep going. All right. Lorraine wrote us on Facebook and says, Scripture is filled with promises for believers and promises for Israel. What is your take on God making promises to individuals, such as the promise of a child, a spouse, a certain ministry, the salvation of a family member, etc.? Thank you. Uh, uh, Well, I have a question. Do you think she means... Direct, personal, prophetic promises to people? Or does she mean taking promises from Scripture and applying it? Like, mm. See, I thought it was more direct. Okay. Um, direct like, words from for, God. Like, pray for, um, you know, Jim, your brother-in-law, yeah. and I will save him, yeah. kind of, is, is what I took it to mean. Well, but it could be either. I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, my friend Fran's brother... Joe was the first person in their family to come to faith. He's a Jewish guy. And very early on, he read Acts 16.31, where it says, Believe on the Lord Jesus the Messiah, and you will be saved, and your house. Yes. And he took that as a personal word from God uh, that his whole house would be saved. Now, that promise to the Philippian jailer, it doesn't mean that if he believes his whole household would be saved— uh, just because he believed and that every person who believes will have their whole household saved. It meant that God was promising him specifically, when you go home now, your house is going to be responsive. It was particular for him. Joe really didn't know that, but he kept claiming it. And in God's mercy, yeah. uh, 
ever, first his mom became a believer, and then his brother and his sister, and then finally his dad became a believer. And his whole household was saved. But Joe didn't know that. He, read, he said, I was reading the Bible wrong. I thought that was a promise for all believers that if we become believers, our whole household will be saved. But that was just talking specifically to the Philippian jailer and what would happen if he went home and told them that he was a believer. So does God do that? I think sometimes God's work works with our ignorance, and in his mercy, he answered Job. But I don't think you're going to get a specific prediction uh, about what's going to happen. And we have to be really careful to discern in the Bible what is a personal What's a promise that, that really will transpire for all people or was just something promised to the individual right. and, and like, in Scripture? Like, like Romans eight twenty eight, which is a very familiar verse with for folks and an encouraging one. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. So that's a, a, general, that's a general promise of God's care and goodness for us. That even if things are going wrong, Right. If we love God, God will work all things together for good. But you can't, if you want to have a land some top position at a big corporation in your city, you, it wouldn't be true to put, oh, and I want to be the vice president of Acme Widgets <laughs> in this verse. Yeah, because that's what I consider to be good. Right. Yeah. That's what I want for we my special promise. We don't know what promise. God's good will be for us. You know. Mm-hmm. So I guess I would say that about the promises. We have to be really careful about claiming promises. I, I was talking with a student just this week, and someone was coming up and telling her parents, this is God's promise to you. I'm going to move you to the, from here in two years to be a missionary in this other country. And I said, well, how does he know that? Well, it was a word from the Lord. Mm, he didn't know that. But maybe, I, I think that that is not a genuine word from the Lord. I don't think that that's prophetic. I think that's made up. However, it might be fulfilled. And do you know why? Because the person might say, well, this is what God's will for me is. I'm going to go to that country. So it becomes self-fulfilling. It becomes self-fulfilling. So, no, I don't think we get promises like that. Okay. What what about like a Psalm 37, 4, where it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So Ah. the desire of my heart is this child or is a spouse. there's There's an interesting flip side to the way that is read. Does it mean he will give you what you want, this child, this mm-hmm. house, this pony? Or does it mean he's going to put in your heart the things that he desires so that you desire the things of God? Yeah. I will make your heart desire the things I want f- for you. Yeah, because I think that sometimes what happens is it changes our desires. Uh, it, there was a rabbinic saying about make God's will your will, and then he will make your will his will. And I, I think that that's sort of what, Psalm 37.4 is saying, it's saying, if we delight ourselves in the Lord, the desires of our heart will change. And it, it may be, our desire will be, God, this is something I really want personally, but I want more than anything else your will. And so I'll be happy and, and be satisfied with what it is that you give me. I think that's what the, delighting ourselves in the Lord does for us. It's interesting too, because verse six then says, and God will bring forth your righteousness as the light. So he transforms your life to be a righteous, a life of righteousness. Yeah, if we desire Not his self-gratification. Will. Yeah. So. Okay. By the way, I don't think God's going to rub our noses in the dirt just to show his authority. It's not like he says, oh, this is what you want? Oh, you hate snakes? I'm going to send you to the jungle to be a missionary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> he's, not, yeah. he's not just 
proven that he's God all the time. But I think that he really does want a heart change on okay. our part. Okay. Um, another question on Facebook. Patricia said, I've, I've seen a mention of prophets in the news lately and just wondered how you felt we as Christians should look at these self-proclaimed prophets. What are God's teachings on this? Okay, let's look at what the scriptures have to say. Uh, to begin with, in Ephesians chapter 2, it speaks about the church being built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And so the foundational period of the church, I've, everyone agrees, just about everyone, that to be an apostle, a person would have had to have a personal call by the Lord Jesus and have seen him personally in his resurrected state. And so that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 1, uh, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen the Lord? Matthew 10, we see the 12 apostles called and they have a direct calling from God. We see that Paul has a direct calling uh, on the road to Damascus, he's told. And so to be an apostle, a person needs a direct calling and to have seen the resurrected Lord. And then in Ephesians 2, it talks about the foundation of the church being the apostles and prophets. And so it's clear to me in that passage that the apostolic gift is merely foundational. And on top of that, it's always linked in Ephesians with the gift of prophets. First here in Ephesians 2, uh, verse 20, that it talks about the church, is, the church is built, the church which began in Pentecost, upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So it's a foundational gift at the foundational period of the church. Uh, and then also in chapter 3, it talks about uh, the, the revelation of the church, the, this new, one new man where Jew and Gentile are fully equal, was not known in ages past, but it has now been revealed, this is Ephesians 3, 5, by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. And so prophets are linked to the apostles and, the apost and in the foundational period of the church. It is that for that reason, and also, in my opinion, because of 1 Corinthians 13, where it speaks about revelatory gifts ceasing, coming to an end, being done away with. Uh, it speaks about the word of knowledge, knowing things that we can't know apart from revelation. It talks about prophecy, which is God speaking through a spokesperson. And it speaks uh, about tongues, which is control of speech into foreign languages, which also is considered revelatory. And all those things will cease when it says the teleon comes. That's the Greek word, sometimes translated perfect. But the word perfect can mean complete. And in this concept, context, it's talking about the revelatory gifts. Now we know in part and we prophesy in part. They're talking about the revelatory gifts that are only partial. But when the completion comes, the completion of revelation, these things will be done away. And so what is it saying? That when the completion of revelation comes, the gift of prophecy will cease. And the completion of Revelation is the completion of the New Testament. I believe that's the point when prophecy ceased. So no longer necessary. Okay. And so that's where I would put it. It's over. So today, who are people who are self-proclaimed prophets? Probably and, mistaken and about I, that. And I think the difference, too, between these self-proclaimed prophets of today and biblical prophets, biblical prophets had to be 100% accurate all the time. Mm -hmm. And these self-proclaimed prophets 
will say, well, I don't have to be accurate. Yeah, the, 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 the new mode of New Testament prophecy is people say things like, well, in the Old Testament prophets had to be 100% accurate. But, but not today. Not today. Uh, I, you can I, take this prophecy or not, and it may or may not be accurate. Yeah. There was a, a woman in my first congregation who prophesied over another girl about when she would meet her husband at certain place, certain time, and they were all worked up about it. They didn't tell me about it in advance, but then they went there, didn't meet him. The whole thing was a fiasco. It blew up in their face, and they they came to me for now pastoral guidance about this woman's mistaken prophecy, and she said to me, what do we do and I said, well, the first thing is we're going to get down and thank God that we're not living in the time of the Mosaic Torah under the Constitution that God gave Israel. She said, why? I said, because I'd have to stone you, and I don't want to stone you. So I'm really glad for, that I don't have to stone you. For your you. inaccuracy as a prophet. Yeah, and, so, and she never prophesied again. So that's what happened with some self-proclaimed prophets. They have to be 100% accurate if they're going to be a prophet. Okay. Well, anyway, that's, those are really great questions. We're going to have more questions coming up. You're listening to Open Line with me, Michael Rydelnik. Joining me today, Eva Rydelnik, and also Tricia McMillan. We're doing your questions that you've asked and sent in. It's an all-mailbag, all-the-time edition of Open Line. We're going to have more questions straight ahead. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The recent Hamas attack in Israel and the surge of anti-Semitism in the U.S. and around the world might cause us to wonder where God is in all this. It's crucial to remember that God loves the Jewish people and truly does have a plan for them. That's why Chosen People Ministries, an organization that brings the good news to Jewish people around the world and also partners with Moody Radio to bring you Open Line, is offering a new booklet titled God's Plan and Purposes for the Jewish People and written by Chosen People President Mitch Glazer, this booklet unpacks what the Bible has to say about God's choice of Israel and its significance. It will grow your care and concern for the Jewish people as you see God's heart for them. It's yours free. Just go to openlineradio.org, scroll down to the link that says A Free Gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that and you'll be taken to a page where you can sign up for your free copy of God's Plan and Purposes for the Jewish People. Go to openlineradio.org. Welcome back to Open Line. My name is Michael Radonik. Joining me today, Trisha McMillan, and asking the questions you've mailed in on this all-mailbag, all-the-time edition of Open Line. Helping me answer today, Eva Radonik, professor at Moody Bible Institute, contributor to the Moody Bible Commentary, and the person who always answers the questions every week by sending me text messages with the proper verses to cite. So anyway, I'm glad you both are here. Uh, I do need to talk about one thing before we we go on with more questions, and that is that there is a trip to Israel coming up uh, with Moody Bible Institute. It's the Moody Bible trip to Israel, and I have the great privilege of helping lead that trip uh, with Jim Coakley, Dr. Jim Coakley from The Land and the Book, and What's really cool about this is joining us this year in May, it's the end of May to early June, May 26th through June 6th, uh, will be the, the newly announced president of Moody Bible Institute, Dr. Mark Job, will be with us. And I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, so there's a trip to Israel that if you want to see the Bible come alive, go from black and white to color in your reading of it, you can go with Moody Bible Institute. And the best place to go to, if you want to see more about that is just go to the openlineradio.org website. It's got a link to that trip to Israel, and you can find out all about it right there. And Tricia, I wish you were coming too. That would be great. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe next time. 
That would also be great. Okay. <laughs> mm. I loved Israel. Yeah. yeah. You only went once, right? I did. I've yeah. only gone once, but I actually did go with Dr. Jim Coakley. Oh, that it was, was his first. He was training to training begin to... doing, leading the trips. Yeah. He was a great, he is a great Old Testament prof. And uh, he, uh, he was teaching in the Moody Seminary at the time. Now he's in the undergraduate school, but he was in the seminary. And, uh, I think it's interesting because you went on a seminary trip, I right? I did, yes. It was a lot of fun. Yes, it yeah. was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so I had a couple follow-up questions okay. to Patricia's question about prophets. Uh, the first one— Let, Let's just background. I said prophecy in the church is complete with the conclusion of the canon. Right. With the completion of the canon. But in Revelation, we have two more prophets show up, mm-hmm. right? They, right. Uh, they will be 100% accurate. They will be 100% accurate, and the two prophets, uh, I'm not surprised because in the Old Testament, in the book of Joel, it speaks about the tribulation period. Now, some people, I think it's being applied in the book of Acts, Acts 2, uh, but in Joel 2.28 and following, uh, it speaks about uh, 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 that there's going to be a return to prophecy uh, at the end of days in the tribulation period. Uh, Hosea, Joel, there we go. I'm looking to find the verse by reciting my minor prophets. Uh, it says that uh, afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is talking about the tribulation period. And it says that after the church is complete, and I believe the the spiritual gift of prophecy was completed in the church by the first century. And then afterwards, uh, in the in the period after the church is complete, after the rapture, in the tribulation period, prophecy will be restored. And it will take place in that period. And uh, and that's talking about the tribulation period. And it's, I believe, none of those things happened on Pentecost, although this verse is cited. It, I think the reason this verse is cited is what I call an applicational use of the Old Testament. And in Joel 2.28, it's quoted in Acts 2, and the reason is that uh, they were saying, are these people drunk because they have these revelatory gifts and they're speaking? They thought they're drunk, and Peter says, no, they're not drunk as you think, but this is a work of the Spirit of God. Look at all the unusual things that will happen, according to Joel, when the Spirit of God comes on people. Now, no one saw visions or dreamed dreams in Acts 2. The sun... Uh, uh, the, the sun wasn't turned to darkness. The moon didn't turn to blood in Acts 2. But he's saying these are these unusual situations are when the Holy Spirit works. So don't blame this on drunkenness. This is the Holy Spirit. That's Peter's answer. So he's applying a text of Scripture. But it will be literally fulfilled in the tribulation period when the church gift of prophecy is ceased and now uh, it is restored in the tribulation period. Okay, and okay. then one final follow-up. Okay. You said that the... So these prophetic gifts have ceased, uh, spiritual gifts. But if you take a spiritual gifts assessment, like one of those tests, either online or on paper or whatever, there there are lots of these around. Yeah. One of the gifts often within that is 
the gift of prophecy. Yeah. Because it, you know, it'll list all those and you add up your numbers and whatever. And I've known several people who came out strongest in the prophecy category. How does that? Well, don't don't they redefine in... what prophecy means? They're not saying that person is giving revelation directly from God. Right. Yeah. They they redefine it usually as like truth telling. Yeah. That they're really good on the truth. Yeah. Well, there is another it. gift listed in First Corinthians twelve, which is sometimes called uh, exhortation. It's it's the word uh, to exhort is to parakaleo, and it's the word that's also used the parakletos in in John 14 through 16 of the Holy Spirit, often translated the comforter. It's usually two sides of the same gift, that it's the ability to apply Scripture to either comfort or challenge. Uh, some people redefine it as preaching, but it's not preaching, uh, prophecy, and it is not uh, exhortation. Those are biblical gifts. You don't need to redefine prophecy for that. Prophecy has ceased, and, and people can have the gift of exhortation slash encouragement. Same two sides, you know, the, what the old thing about a good preacher does. A good preacher will comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what the gift of, of exhortation does. It will afflict the comfortable, challenge them, and it will comfort those who are hurting by applying Scripture to it. And that's what that gift is that your friends are coming up with. Okay. Uh, so in in First Corinthians twelve in First Corinthians twelve when it says that by the one spirit and to another the effecting of miracles and another prophecy and to another distinguishing of spirits that prophecy doesn't mean foretelling like Isaiah Jeremiah. Uh, no, it, uh, no, it does. But people want to redefine it. I think that that First Corinthians twelve is saying some people have the gift of prophecy and they did during the time when First uh-huh. Corinthians was going on. But uh-huh. then when the ca- the canon was complete. That was the end of the gift. It was for the foundational period of the church. All the gifts don't continue. Many do. Exhortation does, but prophecy did not. So anyway, uh, believe it or not, the first hour of this special edition of Open Line is complete, just like the gift of prophecy. But we have more. (laughs) Don't go away. Stick around for the second hour of Open Line on most of these stations. If you like, you can check out our webpage, openlineradio.org. That's got all sorts of great links for you. Past programs, email, Facebook, Twitter, Ask Michael a Question, uh, 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 The Chosen People, free resource that's available, and also free trip, uh, not the free trip, but the trip to Israel if you're interested. Uh, You can sign up, uh, go to that link as well. Open Line with Dr. Michael Ray Dunlick is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. 